my name is Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. I took the week off last week. I had been on vacation the previous week and needed time to get caught up with things, and doing a podcast every single week and releasing an episode takes a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of work, and so it was nice to have that little reprieve last week. And I still don't have any interviews uh, to share with you, but I do have a talk that I gave back in May during the month of Mary, speaking about the rosary and our discipleship. The word discipleship is one that is being talked about in a lot of Catholic circles. There are a lot of books about discipleship and how to be a disciple. And I've looked at this question of how we can pray about our own discipleship especially through the lens of the Rosary Mysteries. I invite you now to listen to this talk that I gave back in May about Mary and discipleship. To talk about Mary and discipleship, I think that was the topic I was assigned. And uh, a number of years ago, I gave a presentation, I think, at the, um, at the convocation or something. It was at the KI Convention Center, and it was Mary, an exemplary disciple. And so I, I still have my handout that I, I gave that day. But um, as I was going back and looking at my notes, I thought, well, I could give this talk. I could just, you know, give this one from a long time ago, who a disciple is, how Mary models it, and what that means for my discipleship. But I was really intrigued uh, by a few talks that I gave recently, just reflecting on the rosary mysteries and bringing in a certain dimension. So there, there was this uh, TV, uh, radio host, actually, uh, Teresa Tamio, and she had a listening for God conference. And uh, she asked me to speak on the rosary and how the rosary helps us to listen for God. And basically, I, I went through each mystery saying, well, this is how it helps us listen for God. And so I thought maybe that would be more practical instead of kind of giving a foundation of Mary and, and kind of the, um, the, a teaching on it. I thought, why not do something more practical? Because I think most of us probably pray the rosary maybe every day, maybe hit or miss. And uh, as we pray it, then we can begin reflecting on it in different ways and, and to really see how our discipleship, how Mary as a disciple can speak to us through each mystery. We, we know that a disciple is one who uh, sits at the feet of the master. That's kind of the traditional definition of a disciple. And so there was the school of disciples uh, that gathered around Jesus and they learned from him. He sent them out. They taught, they healed, they proclaimed, they did all of these things. And so St. John Paul II, for example, in uh, Rosarium Virginis Mariae calls the rosary the school of Mary. So there is kind of this sense of it being a, a place where we learn the mysteries of God. And I often think that the rosary, as we pray it, as we pray the mysteries, that it's Mary walking us through the life of Jesus, that you know, it's, it's the photo album, it's an Instagram account, whatever. Uh, and Mary's just telling us the story. This is who Jesus is, and this is who he was to me and how I played a role in his life as his mother. And that's really what I want to do now is just simply go through the 20 rosary mysteries and, and ask the question, well, what does this mean for me as a disciple of the Lord? For Mary, she was the perfect disciple. There's actually um, a quote from Paul VI. He said that 
Mary is worthy of imitation because she was the first and the most perfect of Christ's disciples. So she's a model disciple. She's an exemplary disciple for all of us. And she can really uh, show us how to live our own life since she followed the Lord as she did God's will in her life. As we go through the mysteries, then we'll just uh, touch a, a little bit on each one. For example, in the Annunciation, the first joyful mystery, it's about saying yes to God's will. So an angel comes, Mary, she already had a plan for her life, according to our tradition, our beliefs, that she and St. Joseph were in this virginal marriage. And this is why she says, how can this be since I've had no relations with a man? But yet the angel comes and she allows God to change the direction or the course of her life. And she says yes to that. The angel says, you know, you are to be the mother of the Lord, the mother of the Savior. And this is how it's going to happen. By the power of the Most High and the Holy Spirit, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son. And we know that Mary said yes. She gave her fiat, her let it be done to me according to your word. I think that's the first thing about our life as a disciple is that we say yes to these invitations of God in our life. Whatever God is calling us to, whatever we feel prompted to in prayer, we always have the choice. We can say yes, or we can say no. And it's wanting to be like Mary and giving what we call our daily fiat, giving our daily yes. And that can happen in many different ways. It can happen as a prayer right away in the morning saying, Lord, I want to do your will today. And basically that's what Mary said. We we know that Psalm, you know, Lord, here I am, I come to do your will from, from the book of Samuel. So that's what Mary prayed. That's what we can pray as we begin our life of following the Lord and saying yes every single day. Now, we move then to the second joyful mystery, which is the visitation. And this is a mystery that uh, comes about from the Annunciation. It kind of flows into it because Luke tells us that right away, Mary says that, uh, or right away, Luke says that Mary sets out in haste to visit her cousin Elizabeth. This aged woman, this infertile woman is now with child and it is six months for her who was called barren. But Mary hears what the angel says. And as she hears it, she puts in to practice her own faith, her own charity, her own generosity. So Mary is really a woman of charity. And I think we could look at that in terms of discipleship. How do I express care and concern for those around me, those who are uh, in need? How can I help them? That Mary goes as this woman who wants to help. But then once the two gather and wherever they met, whether it was at Elizabeth's house or if it was at the well, wherever they encounter each other, well, the, they say they greet one another. And Elizabeth says to Mary, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then the infant leaps in her womb in Elizabeth's womb. And then Mary proclaims this great Magnificat. It's really a paraphrase of that prayer of Hannah from the book of Samuel that she gives birth to her child and she gives thanks to God. Uh, and so the visitation, this Magnificat of Mary is really a paraphrase 
But in a sense, Mary breaks out into prayer. She gives thanks to God. It's in a sense spontaneous. She makes that prayer her own. So in our own life of discipleship, then we could ask, well, how do I spontaneously pray? How do I give thanks to God? Because a disciple prays. Mary prayed as a disciple. She prayed at the Annunciation. Here she prays at the Visitation. And so we really want to give praise to God for all of the good in our life. Think about your ministry. Think about all that you do. And uh, what is it at the end of the day that you can give thanks to God for? Ye yesterday, I, I was out to, to dinner. Uh, there was a retired priest that came by. And then, um, then I, I stayed a little bit afterwards. There were some other people I knew. And there was this young couple. Uh, they're getting married next year. I might witness their marriage. They're waiting on another priest after July to commit or not. But uh, they, they weren't regular churchgoers. But I happened to cross their paths one day. And uh, at, at a place for a fish fry, uh, started talking to them. And then uh, they've come to church pretty regularly. And they don't live too far from the church in Lincoln. But they told me yesterday, they said, you know, the only reason we come was because you spoke to me, because you spoke to us at that restaurant for that Friday fish fry. So, you know, that, that's a very moving experience to hear how you've impacted someone. But then really, once we have those experiences, if we receive this, well, then we give that prayer of the Magnificat. We say, well, my soul gives thanks to God for how he has used me as his instrument. The third joyful mystery is the nativity. Of course, Mary gives birth. And I, I really think that this is all about adoration, of really being caught up in the wonder and in the awe of what God has done, that God has become incarnate, that Mary looks at the face of God in the chapel, uh, in the um, in the manger. And so this is about our own prayer of adoration. And, you know, adoration, we think of it, of course, Eucharistic adoration, that's um, kind of the, the best uh, form of adoration that we have, but really we can have adoration just to be in awe and in wonder of what God has done in our life, or just to sit there and behold the great mysteries. So that's another aspect, I think, that the nativity leads us to pray about this adoration of being in awe of what God has accomplished. The presentation, the fourth joyful mystery, I think is one that, it, it struck me on the feast of saying, or no, it struck me actually on the feast of the presentation of the Lord this year, in this year of St. Joseph, that Joseph takes the, Jesus to be presented in the temple because this is what he's supposed to do. This is the law. And so he does it out of obedience to the law. And we know that Simeon, he fulfills his life's mission because Joseph was obedient. Joseph brings Jesus. Simeon says, now let your servant go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. Uh, so I think that this speaks to obedience to the law. And of course, in the church, there are lots of different laws, lots of different regulations. But we know that if we want to be a follower of Jesus, he's given us the church. And so we strived our best to really follow then out of obedience to the law, all of these different things. And we strive to live them uh, in our life. So maybe in our life of discipleship, we say, well, 
is there something I struggle with? Is there a teaching? Is there a, some regulation I, I, I have struggles with? And then what can I do with that? But how can I obey it? You know, I, I think one of the most simple ones is simply the no meat on Friday during Lent. This is a regulation. It's a law of the church. And so we're obedient to it. We do our best to obey that uh, to our ability. So it's just one of those things, obedience to the law there in the presentation. In the fifth joyful mystery, we have the finding of Jesus in the temple. And uh, the first thing to notice here is that Jesus is learning from the teachers. He's sitting among the teachers. He's asking them questions. And I think for all of us as disciples of the Lord, that there's a lot of learning that takes place. And we're all in ministry. We work for the church. And so, you know, what do you read? How do you form yourself? How do you learn about our faith? You know, do you take advantage of some of these platforms out there, like Formed, for example? You know, that's a great way that we can take in education, that we can learn. Do we read some of the great literature that's coming out from Catholic authors like Brant Petrie or Scott Hahn or whoever it might be? Check any Catholic publisher catalog and uh, you'll find something that you can read and you can learn from some of these great teachers of our Catholic faith. I think too, though, uh, in our life of discipleship, the finding of Jesus in the temple also helps us to treasure uh, the different events of Jesus's life. And that's what we hear all throughout Luke's gospel, that Mary kept these things and she pondered them. She treasured them in her heart. Jesus goes home to Nazareth. He lives with his parents for all of these hidden years. We don't know what happens, but yet Mary had all of these experiences. And so she treasured all of those things. And so we treasure those things in our life. We treasure them in our hearts as well. So how do we treasure uh, would be another aspect, I think, through this mystery of the rosary. Then we move to the luminous mysteries, and we have the baptism of the Lord in the River Jordan by the hand of St. John the Baptist. I'd like to imagine, of course, because John the Baptist is a relative of Jesus, this is why Mary goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth. Some of the great medieval artists, the Renaissance painters, they paint the, um, they, they paint the friendship of, of John and Jesus. They had, in their imagination, they had childhood play dates. And so we know that Bishop Rickon says, who is a disciple? A disciple is a friend and a follower of Jesus. So that's who John the Baptist really is. He's a friend of Jesus. He's a follower of Jesus. He's preparing the way. He says, there's one more worthy than I, whose sandal I am un unworthy to untie. So there is this friendship dimension then in this baptism, but it's also the inauguration. It's the beginning of Jesus's public ministry. It's the beginning of his mission. And so for all of us as disciples in the parishes where we work, what, you know, maybe we call to mind, well, what was it that had me begin this ministry? Why did I get involved in work in the church? And, uh, and to realize that what we do in the parishes is all about having a specific mission. We come to realize the gifts that God has endowed us with, and then we use them for the sake of mission. So that's what I think we could take away from the baptism for discipleship. Uh, at Cana, we have uh, Mary's prayer of intercession. Pope Francis said this very nicely once. He, he said that Mary notices a need even before they realized it. 
So she's attentive. This is what Paul VI says, that Mary is the attentive virgin. She notices things. And I think that's true for us, that we can ask Mary to notice our own needs, whatever our needs are as a disciple of the Lord, to, to ask Mary to notice them, to bring them to Jesus, to ask her prayers. But it's also for us in our ministry and what we do, we begin to notice the needs of others. And so maybe you notice that this person looks a bit downtrodden, that they're not as happy as they used to be. And maybe you reach out to them or you say, this person just went through a loss. What can I do to help them? This is how we can respond as an attentive person in our life as a disciple. The proclamation of the kingdom, the third luminous mystery, is simply uh, living the Beatitudes. That's when John Paul II wrote uh, the, the five luminous mysteries, uh, in Rosarium Virginis Maria, he focuses especially on how the proclamation of the kingdom is the Beatitudes. And, and not only do we live and obey the Ten Commandments, but then we try to be those blessed of the Lord. Blessed are the peacekeepers. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the poor. And perhaps then in our own life of discipleship, we say, how do I live the Beatitudes by my life? Uh, because if we do, Jesus promises the kingdom. He says, then the kingdom of God will be yours. So we really strive to live the Beatitudes as disciples. In the transfiguration, uh, we have uh, Jesus going up the mountain. He takes three disciples. He takes three apostles with him, uh, Peter, James, and John. And so I think sometimes we see that these are kind of the favorite apostles, Peter, of course, being the first pope, and then James and John, the sons of thunder, that uh, their, their, their mother asks, you know, um, can, can these sit one at your left and one at your right? And so there, there's this close kinship between the three of them, between them and Jesus, that he brings them and shows them, reveals his glorified uh his glorification as, as he is transfigured on that mountain. Now, I could have said this for the baptism of the Lord, but we can say it here at the transfiguration that we hear who Jesus is, that God the Father speaks and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. As Jesus is called the beloved son, well, then we also begin to realize, well, in Jesus, I have my identity. So in Christ, then I have my identity as a beloved son or daughter of God. That's something we begin to think about. Do I realize that I'm a beloved child of God? The other thing at the transfiguration is that God the Father says, well, listen to him. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so do we listen to what Jesus has taught all throughout the scriptures? In the fifth luminous mystery, we focus on the institution of the Eucharist, the Last Supper, that first Holy Thursday. And as disciples, we all receive the Eucharist. This is our food for the journey. This is how Christ nourishes us. This is what Jesus says that, you know, I will give you divine life. Whoever eats my body and drinks my blood will have life forever. And so God, through, through the Eucharist, really gives us this great gift. And for the apostles, when Jesus dies, well, how, and he ascends into heaven after 40 days, well, how do they connect with him? Well, they gather in their churches, in the home churches, they celebrate the Eucharist. 
you know, in some of these films, they uh, like, uh, I think it was Son of God that, that at the very end of it, at, at the resurrection scene, they go, they find the tomb empty. And so then the apostles broke bread together. And, and that was kind of calling to mind what Jesus said that, you know, this is my body. I am with you always until the end of the age through the Eucharist. Mary would have received the Eucharist, of course. And this is something we can think about. Uh, John, as one of the apostles, probably gathered with others, broke bread with them. Mary received the Holy Eucharist as they did that. Um, so, so for us, then, we can receive Holy Communion, in a sense, in imitation of Mary, sure. But perhaps as a disciple, then, we say, well, what is, how do I approach the Eucharist? Do I truly realize what it is? And so we reaffirm every time we go to Mass, I really believe that Jesus is present here in the Eucharist. Do I receive the Eucharist worthily? St. Paul says that whoever receives it unworthily brings condemnation upon themselves. So we want to receive the Eucharist uh, very worthily in our own life. One of the things that I like to do, uh, I, I, I stole this from uh, a Jesuit from the 1950s, uh, Father Daniel Lord. Father Daniel Lord would uh, give meditations after Holy Communion. He wanted people to pray and to sit there. You know, we just had it in the gospel today, actually, you know, and on Sunday, you know, remain in me as I remain in you. Well, Jesus remains with us in the Holy Eucharist. And as we receive him, well, we can remain just a few moments to have that prayerful recollection, that prayerful meditation. So in our life as a disciple, we, and we know in the bishop's paradigm, the, the third step is worship Jesus. So this is uh, how we do it. We do it through the Eucharist. We do it through our worthy celebration and reception of the sacrament. We move into the sorrowful mysteries now and as we do so, the agony in the garden, well, Jesus goes into the garden. He knows why he came. He was sent by the Father to die, for God so loved the world that his only son would die so that all might be saved. And so Jesus knows he's come for this purpose, but even in that moment, he says, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me, not my will, but let your will be done. And as a disciple, then, we give our yes to God's will as we think about the Annunciation, but then we pray for the will of God. We do so every time that we pray the Our Father. We say, you know, thy will be done. And so in our life as a disciple, then, like Jesus, we resign ourselves to say, not my will, but yours. I want what you want for my life. And I think that's what the agony in the garden teaches us, that as Jesus prayed for that hour, and maybe we can take away the fact that they, Jesus prayed for an hour, the disciples slept. Maybe we pray with the Lord through our Eucharistic adoration, through a holy hour, that that's a way in which we spend that time. And we do pray then for the will of God to be done. Jesus is scourged then in the second sorrowful mystery, and he's beaten. One of the, 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 one of the scriptures, maybe the Lamentations, it says that, you know, he was bruised for our transgressions, but by his wounds, by his stripes, we are healed. So really the scourging, I think then is Jesus, he experiences all of these things. He does it really to repair the damage of sin in the world. He wants to redeem it. He suffers because of this. And so we look at our own suffering. Maybe we look at our own reparation. What have I done to make up for the wrong that I have done? What have I done to repair the damage of sin? 
And so by reparation, we heal that wound that we've experienced by God's love and by God's mercy. And the scourging, I think, moves us to that point to say, I want to make reparation for this pain and for the suffering that Jesus endured for me. When we think of the crowning of thorns in the third sorrowful mystery, this is the people mocking Jesus. You know, he says, he said that he was a king. And so they said, well, we'll make him a crown. We'll call him the king of the Jews. And, and uh, so they persecute him. They mock him. And this is what Jesus taught at the Beati in the Beatitudes. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And we realize then, I think, through this mystery that as a disciple of the Lord, that as we follow Jesus, we might be ridiculed. We might uh, be persecuted. Others might mock us. Maybe family members will disown us because of our faithfulness to the gospel, because we believe what we believe. Um, you know, a, a life, the life of a disciple is that uh, um, is simply that we we won't be received well. I, I'm trying to think. I, they know the cost of discipleship. That's uh, that was one of my paradigms from from the previous talk. But for Mary, if we go back to Mary, she she didn't know what saying yes at the Annunciation meant. She didn't know it would take her to the foot of the cross. She didn't know these things in that moment but yet she knows the cost of what it meant to be a follower. It meant that she fled into Egypt. It meant that her son died. She held his body in her arms. So, so you know, there, there's this idea there, I think, that, that there will be persecution. The life of being a disciple isn't always easy. Um, and sometimes it is hard. It is difficult. But we, we know that cost and, and we carry on because of the promises that Jesus has made. In the fourth sorrowful mystery, we have the carrying of the cross. And uh, again, I think this is the reminder that discipleship isn't easy, that we will have burdens that we will carry, but we know that there are other people along the way that we'll have our own Simon of Cyrene's, we'll have our Veronica's that will help us, uh, that will journey with us during this life of discipleship. That if we're at a low, if we're in a down moment, well, someone's going to be there to help to pick us up. That's perhaps what we see in the carrying of the cross for discipleship. And maybe we ask that question. We say, well, who are those people that I can rely on who will be those Simon of Cyrene's for me as I carry the cross of my life? The crucifixion, a very beautiful portrayal, I think, of a life of discipleship. For example, Jesus gives all of these phrases, the seven phrases from the cross. And think the big one. And of course, this is why Jesus dies on the cross. He dies for the forgiveness of sins. So as he dies, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That, and so he, he forgives even those who have put him on the cross. One of the things he does, one of the last things he says, Father, forgive them. So as a disciple, we'll be called to forgive. We'll be asked to forgive others in our life. And maybe there is someone, I, you know, this is tragic. I know, I know several people that, that carry, you know, crosses that they've, um, with a family member. There, there's one person I can think of in particular, hasn't talked to their brother in like 30 years because of some hurt 30 years ago, some betrayal that happened. And, and there, there's a book out there, I think by Alan Hunt, maybe it's called Everybody Has Someone or Everyone 
has somebody to forgive or something like that. It was one of the Matthew Kelly books a number of years ago, but it's true. We all have someone probably in our life we need to forgive and, and we can look to Jesus forgiving his people, the, the people who put him to death as an example. He entrusts himself into the father's hands at the very end of his life. We see the very same thing in St. Stephen. When he's stoned, he says the words of Jesus. So, so we make these words of Jesus our own, in a sense, entrusting our entire life to the father. And then, uh, and then too, he gives Mary as our mother. John takes Mary into his home. I think for us in our life of discipleship, we need to have that Marian dimension. We'll talk a little bit about that in the fourth and fifth mysteries of the glorious mysteries. But for, for the apostles, they were inspired by Mary, that they, they took her as an inspiration. We're talking about her, the mother of disciples, the model disciple, an exemplary disciple. So we say, well, how can I be inspired by Mary? Well, by her, yes, by her charity, by all of these different things that we've already talked about. Well, they can help us be, uh, they can help us in our life of discipleship. In the final five glorious mysteries, uh, we have the resurrection, of course, and the apostles, they, they had their doubts. They had their doubts, of course, and then they had fears, and, but then they had hope. And why? Because Jesus comes to them and Jesus says, peace be with you. So in our own life, I think as, as the apostles abandoned Jesus, except John, uh, at the foot of the cross, well, now they come back and they have this great hope. So in our own life, maybe there'll be fears, there'll be doubts, but we can place our hope that Jesus gives us this peace. And maybe in our life, if we're lacking that, if we have those struggles, well, then we ask the risen Lord to say these words to us, to really bring back alive, to stir a fire again, our faith in the Lord. For the ascension, this is the great missionary mandate. This is the call of every disciple. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's the mission that all of the apostles receive. They're sent out. They bring the gospel to these foreign lands, to all of these different places. And so for us as disciples then, well, who are we called to bring the gospel? How have I made disciples? How am I living this call of this missionary mandate uh, of the Lord? We're all doing it in our own ways, but really to, to pause, I think, in that mystery as we pray it and say, well, who am I discipling right now? Of course, um, the focus, the, the focus um, ministries for college, they talk about, you know, having a few people who they're forming, they're praying with, or they're talking with. So are there people that I've taken under my wing that I'm forming in the life of discipleship that they're learning from me and I'm showing them what it means to be a friend and follower of Jesus. At Pentecost, we have the descent of the Holy Spirit and right now lots of parishes, uh, maybe in your parishes you've just had or you will have the sacrament of confirmation. I was able to confer you know, with the special faculty from the bishop, uh, the, my two parishes are high school students. And uh, you know, it was a great gift to be able to do that and for them to receive the Holy Spirit in that powerful way. We've all been confirmed. We've received the Holy Spirit in our own life. And how often do we pray to the Holy Spirit? That might be a good question. Do I, um, do I ask the Holy Spirit to guide me and to lead me in everything that I do? 
Um, I, I really love that prayer of St. Saint Augustine, you know, breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that all my thoughts might be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that all my actions might be holy. You know, that's what we really want, that everything that we do and in conversation that we have, it's being led by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we have to have difficult meetings with people. And so as a disciple, maybe we say, Holy Spirit, give me the words to speak to this person right now to help them in this difficult moment. It could be if you're consoling a family. I saw the prayer request of someone that, you know, the catechist that died. So when you talk to that person, well, we need to call upon the Holy Spirit to inspire us in that moment to say, well, give me the words to say that will comfort and console this person. So in our life as disciples, in our ministry, really to pray to the Holy Spirit for guidance that we might always be led, that we might use those gifts that we have received. The assumption I really think makes us call makes us think about heaven. It calls to mind this heavenly reality, and uh, and that that's one of the things uh, in my old paradigm too. I said that uh, Mary uh, knew her eternal destiny, and so she knew that she was destined for heaven. And that's where we're all going. Hopefully, if we live and obey and 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 love the Lord with all our heart, mind, and soul, and and, and everything that we know that we have a, a home made for us in heaven, not built by hands, as, as the scripture says. And so do we live our life making every decision by the fact that one day I will have eternal life or one day I want to live with God. So I allow that to inform everything that I do in my life. So for Mary, we talk about her immaculate conception and we call that a singular grace. It's a grace that she was given only her, immaculately conceived. Now her assumption is a privilege. It's, it's not a singular grace. It's a privilege of hers, but it foreshadows what's going to happen for all of us. That what God has done for Mary, he's going to do for us as we profess in the creed, uh, when, you know, in the resurrection of the body, that at the end of the age, all the dead will rise. And, and so that'll be our assumption moment. Uh, and so what, what has happened in Mary, kind of we anticipate then through the assumption. Now we're at the final joyful mystery, which you're probably all rejoicing. That's the nice thing about this. When you go through and you have 20 points, I guess, is that you know when the end is near. But for the coronation of the Blessed Mother, this is Mary, queen of heaven and earth. And we know she appeared in this diocese and champion in 1859 as the queen of heaven. She told Adele, I'm the queen of heaven who prays for the conversion of sinners. And I wish you to do the same. So we join Mary in her prayer. Not only do we ask her to pray for us, but we want to, we pray with her and we join her in her prayer as well for conversion of sinners, for example. Maybe in this mystery, as a life of in our own life of discipleship, we say, well, how has Mary been a part of my life? Do I have a strong devotion to her? Don't I? How could I improve my devotion? How can I have a better relationship with the Blessed Mother? Something that we can think about. For the apostles, Mary was, Mary was with them. She was a part of the early church, uh, we, we believe. And so uh, in some of these cinematic uh, expressions uh, of the early church, you know, th this is artistic license, but they have the apostles coming to Mary sometimes seeking counsel, seeking advice, and, and that she gives that to them, that the apostles look to her as a mother. So for us, 
as Jesus gives her to us at the foot of the cross, take Mary into your home. Well, that's our call to take Mary into our home, to allow her to be our mother, to ask her to pray for us, to notice our needs as she did at Cana. These are just a few ways, I think, that as we pray the rosary mysteries and, and during the month of May, Pope Francis has asked us to pray the rosary, uh, especially so that we will uh, have an end to the coronavirus pandemic. And uh, so we do pray the rosary for this intention. And uh, as we pray it, as we meditate on the mysteries, perhaps we can see our life of discipleship. Because as we sit in the school of Mary, she wants to tell us the story of Jesus. If you remember the early days of this, the discipleship seminars, it was all about getting to know Jesus, of knowing Jesus. And, and Mary can help us do that. She, as she tells us the story of salvation, we get to know him. And then as we pray these mysteries, also we get to know him and to live better as his disciples. And Mary will pray for us that we might live this life of discipleship, that we might bear fruit in the world so that one day we might truly live with him forever in the kingdom. Thanks so much.